0: And Welcome to another week's episode of Not D&D, brought to you by EN Live, part of EN World, the leading tabletop news and review site. Uh, I'm your host, Jessica. I'm very excited this week to welcome our guest, April Walsh. April, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Of course, we, I'm very excited because this week we are talking about one of the best-named tabletop RPGs ever, which is called uh, Thirsty Sword Lesbians. Um, so if you have any questions at any point, uh, please pop them down uh, wherever you're watching this live. Uh, we'll happily answer your questions about the game. Uh, so jump in and get involved. Um, so... Before we dig in and start talking about the game April, uh, could you tell us a little bit about your history with tabletop RPGs? Uh, So, like, what was the first uh, RPG you remember playing?
1: It was um, in second grade on the school bus. I ran a campaign of the um, licensed Star Wars RPG, the D6-based game by West End Games. And I remember very little about the plot i remember we had a wookie uh jedi and an astromech droid which sounds like the setup to a uh, joke like they walk into a bar um mm-hmm. and we rolled dice in a shoebox and i've been playing games ever since then so um you know when i was young i played a lot of the traditional games like D and 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 paranoia and then um you know in the past decade or so i've been discovering the narrative side of the hobby um Mm -hmm. like Fate and uh, the Apocalypse Engine and related games.
0: Amazing. And as well as uh, being a tabletop RPG player, you have a very impressive day job as well. Uh, So you are a a civil liberties attorney, is that correct?
1: Yes. Um, I work at an organization called the Electronic Frontier Foundation, Mm -hmm. and our mission is to ensure that new technology promotes people's rights and liberties rather than impinging on them. And my focus is in on um, uh, net neutrality, artificial intelligence, and a lot of speech-related issues, making sure that activists are able to organize online and that um, people are, uh, are able to express themselves without a government or a corporation getting in the way.
0: I mean, that's just so impressive and intimidating. So not only do you have an amazing tabletop RPG, your day job is like this kick-ass <laughs> job as well. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for finding the time to come on between all the many busy things that that you're doing there. Um, I'm getting a little bit of feedback on your mic. I don't know if you can pull it away a little bit or oh
1: just pull it out a little breathing bit. breathing right, it right into it. Is that what's happening?
0: I was just getting a little bit of feedback but I think it should be fine now. Um but yes yeah, so thank you so much for oh, coming. You know
1: what in. it is it's my fan.
0: Oh <laughs> I'll okay. All right you to out of
1: the wind stream?
0: <laughs> yes no problem if that works. Mm-hmm. It's always something when it's live. Um so what we're going to mostly be talking about as I've mentioned before is obviously it's thirsty sword lesbians which I think you're very well known for. Um but how did you go from creating games and and working in the games industry uh from being somebody who's a player
1: um well i think a lot of rpgs leave a lot of space for people to do their own creation and game design in the course of of play and preparing games mm-hmm. my first sort of standalone hacks were um you know, it was a long time ago uh but Throughout sort of the hobby, you design little mini games, and if you're mm-hmm. playing a tactical game, anytime you're designing an encounter, you're doing a little bit of game design because you are trying to make okay. sure that it's balanced, that the um, there are interesting things to do on the map, there are interesting objectives, because it's not really fun to just you have two lines of people go and like whack at each other. Um, <laughs> But I think I got more excited about it when I saw the possibilities that narrative first game design opens up. So Fate in particular was mm-hmm. my introduction to this side of the hobby, where yes. the mechanics are really focused not on trying to simulate something, but on trying mm-hmm. to generate a satisfying narrative structure. And yes. um, then the Powered by the Apocalypse engine gives you this like neat little nugget of game design in the form of like a move where... It prompts you to think about, you know, what are the three possible outcomes and how do you make all of them interesting? So Mm -hmm. uh, I think Thirsty Sword Lesbians is an evolution of ideas from from that side of the narrative um, gaming hobby within RPGs. And I really Mm -hmm. uh, was excited about the prospect of telling stories that had intense emotions and a lot of action Mm -hmm. and um, also centered sort of queer joy and power. So mm-hmm. it was just, it was something where I wanted to play this game and it didn't exist yet. So I had to write it.
0: Amazing. That's always where the best ideas come from, I think, because it's something that somebody is so passionate about and has a really kind of a clear idea. I um, still
1: adore playing Thirsty Sword Lesbians. I play it all the time. And particularly with all of the community content that people are coming up with and new playbooks and adventures and mm-hmm. settings, it's really neat to make a game and then get to play it, but also get to play parts of it that you didn't have to write.
0: Yeah, that's true. And uh, I mean, getting if other people in the community love it so much, they're wanting to create stuff that you you know, you're onto a winner with it, I think when that's happening. Um, so for people, I mean, Thirsty Sword Lesbians has done so well, the Kickstarter at the end of 2020 had like 8,000 backers. Uh, since then, it's gone on to win kind of any awards and nebula awards. And you know, there's, a, you know, a, an expansion to it as well. And, Everything's going on. But in case people are unaware and have not heard about Thirsty Sword Lesbians, how would you how would you briefly describe it? What's the kind of brief elevator pitch yeah uh, you, you tell to people about it?
1: Yeah, Thirsty Sword Lesbians is a game of queer action romance that celebrates queer love and power in any setting where swords cross and hearts race. So there is a sense in which it's setting agnostic, um, but it's definitely not genre agnostic. It is like a Mm -hmm. queer action romance. And I'll often describe the vibe to people as, um, if you remember, the fight in the princess bride on top of the cliffs of insanity where Wesley and Inigo are doing their sword play and they're kind of giving Mm -hmm. each other compliments and like smiling at each other. And then they lock blades and Wesley gets like pressed against the stones Mm -hmm. at the top of the cliffs of insanity. And then they kiss. That's the, that's the vibe for um, thirsty sword (laughs) lesbians. Um, And mechanically, It is a narrative first, feelings first sort of system where the playbooks, which are like character classes in other games, Mm -hmm. are um, built around an emotional conflict and arc. So if you are um, the devoted is on the screen, the devoted is all about um, trying to balance the thing they're devoted to with taking care of themselves, learning Mm self-care. So there's an element of that toxic Um, Mm self-sacrifice. The trickster wants they crave intimacy but they're afraid of being vulnerable and so they have all these sneaky disguisey moves and um Mm -hmm. but they also have a mechanic where when they bottle it up too much eventually they they burst and you have this like mechanical permission to to have this like tirade of all the feelings that you've been bottling up and confess your your love and your anger and do the thing Mm -hmm. that you've been holding back from because you're afraid and so the Different archetypes are structured in that way. And through play, mm-hmm. a character, if you're playing a long-term campaign, a character will evolve through several mm-hmm. different playbooks. So um, once yeah. they sort of resolve that emotional conflict and grow past it, then another one arises, which, as it happens. Um, so, so that's sort of the focus of the characters that you're telling stories mm-hmm. about. And then the action is very... Um, it's it's also very narrative and feelings focused in the sense that uh, you don't take damage, you take emotional conditions that are difficult to deal with, and that you okay. can resolve either by getting emotional support or by acting out. And um, that's a concept from Masks, which is another powered by the Apocalypse game uh, mm-hmm. that, that I modified for Thirsty Sword Lesbians because I think it fits really well. There mm-hmm. are there are basically if you are in a sword fight with someone. You could be rolling to fight them if you're trying to overcome them, but you might just roll to flirt with them or you might roll to figure them out. And there mm-hmm. are some truths of the heart that are only visible when your blades are locked. That's just one of the conceits of this genre. So, <laughs> um, right. The combat is sort of a metaphor for being in this like intense point yeah. of conflict. And it's interesting because your relationship with your opponent and with your comrades can change as a result of going through um that sort of difficult dramatic moment that's why it's interesting to have the fight um mm-hmm. so that's all of that is part of what i mean when i say that it's narrative first and feelings first
0: definitely i mean um so as as you've mentioned it's uh using kind of a hack of powered by the apocalypse um and so we have all these great archetypes um when I was reading through and I won't say, say which one um, uh, I was, I was thinking, Oh, how dare she just like write about me? Um, yeah. Have other people have said this to you that they've like looked at some of the archetypes and like heavily identified.
1: Absolutely. Any um, of them, yeah. And uh, so yes, like every time people are, picking characters for the first time Mm -hmm. like why would you call me out like this or Mm -hmm. um, this is too real I don't want to play this (laughs) um
0: it's it's not role-playing if you play yourself yeah (laughs)
1: um but it's also been really interesting the way uh the way that some of these experiences are shared outside of queerness just people who experience other marginalizations have talked to me about like you know this playbook sort of speaks to my experience as like a biracial immigrant in the United States like that's fascinating. I had no idea, but I'm really delighted that it's it's uh, an experience that um, is broader than you know, anything that, that I have personal experience with. And we also, we try to do that by including um, sort of five other authors who wrote settings in the core mm-hmm. book, as well as all the stretch goals that are now collected in the expansion yeah. along with some bonus stuff. So we wanted it to not just be me trying to represent all queer experience, but to... Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, to be yeah. welcoming to a lot more of a range of people.
0: Yeah, well, I, mean, I mean, the queer community is such a big and diverse group. It would be impossible for one person to try and encompass and, and represent all things to kind of all people. Um, when you were creating the kind of archetype, what was your kind of approach to that and your thought process behind uh, a couple of them?
1: So the very, well, let's see. So I had previously done some design work creating archetypes that were based on narrative arcs and i wanted to bring that into thirsty sword lesbians Mm -hmm. and i think the one of the challenges for designing the nine core playbooks is you only Mm -hmm. have nine and you need to sort of try to represent a pretty broad range of experiences so some of them you know the chosen is quite broad the chosen is basically um fate or your family or society or your adoring public have an expectation of you that's not Mm -hmm. necessarily what you want Um, but it imbues you with power if you live up to this expectation Um, and that's a really broad that's a really broad concept yeah Um, and the there are trying to think of what are more specific concepts, the nature, which is the, the baby gay kind of concept <laughs> or the baby trans person. They have yeah. figured something out about themselves and now interacting with other people feels really new and they're exploring sort of what they can, how they can move in the world, what experiences they can have, what relationships they can have. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's a little bit more specific, even though it's something that a lot of people go through. Mm-hmm. So the, the the balance there is trying to you know, have an archetype that, is punchy it speaks to a sort of cohesive plot and emotional conflict that's fun to play with but for the core Mm -hmm. book it's broad enough that you know about a ninth Mm -hmm. of players are going to be interested in it and collectively people are going to be able to find some options they're excited about and one of the neat things about the expansion and all the fan playbooks Mm -hmm. is they don't have to do that they can be a lot more niche we can have the Mm -hmm. lead in the expansion who is a reincarnated warrior with past life trauma. And as they use their powers, they lose their memories of this life. And it's tragic and dramatic and really exciting. Yeah, um, That's Pam Ponzelen who wrote that and it's, uh, it's incredible. It's a lot of fun to play, but it's not for every game. And it's not necessarily mm-hmm. a character that fits every setting. And we had the freedom to do that when we were designing the expansion books. And that was a lot of fun too.
0: I de- for sure um when I was looking through uh the book one of the things that uh struck me that I really liked um was the way you looked at kind of safety mechanics um so I'd love to talk about that a bit because obviously this is a game where there's like romance and high drama and you're going to be flirting with people and so obviously you want to do that in a way where everybody's comfortable so could you could you talk us through how you try to approach that with the book
1: I could I could talk you through that for a long time because I have this like four layers of safety that I try to try to embody. Let's in a go through
0: them. We've got sure. the time. They're oh, here great. for that. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, so I always feel like the first layer of safety is who is at the table with you, um, mm-hmm. and one of the reasons that Thirsty Sword Lesbians is named what it is is because it attracts the kind of people I want to play with and repulses the people I don't want to play with, and that's kind okay. of a safety mechanism. Um, yeah. you know, the kind of people who are excited about playing this game, we've got sort of one level of, um, of buy-in and excitement about sort of being queer positive. Yeah. Um, another level is the, the expectations that are set by the game text. So we've got the mm-hmm. no fascists, no bigots, cat girl messing up a cop car art page. Um, mm-hmm. we've got the, um, ideas for flirting, including a lot of bad ideas and a lot of (laughs) setting expectations that these are disaster lesbians. You do not have to be good at flirting. You don't have to be suave or anything to play this game. Several of the playbooks are by default really awkward. The spooky witch will just blurt out things about her special interest. And (laughs) it's it's wonderful. It's like she has the move. I like snails. um, And it is, it lets her flirt. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but in a cute, awkward way. Um, yeah. so, so that's sort of you know making making that uh, expectation um, something healthy through the text that's that's on the page and in the in mm-hmm. the book. And then the next layer is the the game mechanics. well maybe it's it's easier to talk first about um, just explicit safety mechanics so of uh, like X sure. card checking card, things that Mm -hmm. a lot of people are probably familiar with um, that both set the expectation that what we care about is player safety rather than um, like various similitude or Narrative satisfaction, or whatever. What's more important is the people who are gathered around this table, yeah. and um, helping people communicate using using those tools. And then mm-hmm. the fourth is what's baked into the the general mechanics. So you wouldn't think of it as a safety mechanic, but for instance, if you there's no role to seduce someone, right? There's no, there's no mm-hmm. like make someone be attracted to you or whatever. There sure. is an entice move and you can get emotional leverage that way. And then they get the option of picking how they react to it. So there are a sure. bunch of moves that create a conversation where you're basically coming up with a proposal, right? And the mechanics will tell you what sort of options you get to pick. Um, but then the other person gets to decide, you know, do I open up to them? And then, like, how do I want to react? And what feelings do I feel? If you if you take a condition, which are what the emotional, the difficult emotional states are called, you get to decide which one. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not it's not telling you how to feel. And I think a really mm-hmm. important point is that this is true for the PCs' interaction with NPCs as well, because it mm-hmm. can feel a little gross if someone's like, I'm going to roll dice and bend this NPC to my will, and like, especially if it's in a romantic yeah, spot,
0: that's not the vibe. Crazy.
1: Um, so even with NPCs, um, if you if you get sort of this currency of emotional insight or leverage called a string, um, mm-hmm. if you spend it, sometimes they'll just do what you want, but you, they might not. You might instead find out what it would take to get them to do what you want if it's possible. Mm-hmm. So it connects their behavior and actions to their sort of internal life and preferences instead of you overriding yeah. it and you not caring what their feelings are. Mm-hmm. And, and you're figuring other people out is a big part of the game. It's, it's one of the two things that's especially effective to do when you're in a combat situation is try to figure out this other person um, and sort of where they're coming from or how are they vulnerable, depending on what approach you want to take to um, mm-hmm. to your encounter with them. So the, that safety element is a really important part of all of the game design um, the design of all of the moves and um, and the options that you have in play.
0: Yeah. I love as well what you did when you mentioned in the rules as well, you can play entirely without it being sexual or romantic in any way. So if perhaps you are not comfortable playing that or if you're ace or your character is going to be ace, you can you can easily not have to to play it like that. So yeah, it fits entirely, very yeah. well.
1: It fits very well with a found family narrative, where you have mm-hmm. you know, a bunch of queers and they've all got their issues, but they all care about each other and and work together. At least in the end, maybe you have some fun friction and some um, you know you have some you have some interpersonal drama because it's fun and yeah. Um, yeah. So it totally it doesn't have to be either romantic or sexual. I mean, there are no sex rules, right? Like some Powered by the Apocalypse games will have sex moves. Okay. Um, and I didn't include those for a variety of reasons, but there mm-hmm. is an optional intimacy move that doesn't trigger on mm-hmm. sex, it triggers on when you lower your last guard with someone. And okay. essentially, then you ask them you know, a meaningful question. And if mm-hmm. they say yes, they're, they're, your connection to them is so strong that they sort of share part of your playbook features. Um, mm-hmm. But that's sort of, that's a level, there are a couple of levels to sort of expressing your interest or intimacy with other characters. One that I'm really proud of is it's a basic move that you can do at any time. It's called smitten. Mm -hmm. You can declare that you're smitten with someone. And um, there's a little mechanic associated with it. Like they get a string because they have emotional leverage on you and you answer Mm -hmm. a question. Um, that relates to your playbook's core conflict. So the trickster who's afraid of vulnerability and intimacy. Your question is, what secret do you have that you're sure would make them reject you? Um, so it's oh. it's basically it's a signal, right?
0: I know, yeah, Sorry. I know. But yeah. Like,
1: you know, y- by picking your playbook, you're sort of expressing what kind of drama mm-hmm. and what kind of like heart wrenching moments you're excited about your character experiencing. And so if you declare smitten. Um, you get a little like moment of spotlight on the fact that you are interested in this relationship, getting some attention and you are interested in this particular kind of conflict, making that fun and dramatic. So, um, and that's, that's all it does. It's mechanically, but Mm -hmm. in the, in the course of play, it does, it has this tremendous signaling function. It's really Mm -hmm. sweet. Um, It's also just fun to see what people are, declaring smitten in response to um, because you can do it whenever you want. And of course it's always your choice to do it. It never happens without uh, your permission. Although the -hmm. scoundrel whose whole whole deal is that they like keep, they they keep moving on to new conquests. There are incentives for them to declare smitten with people they've just met because that's Mm -hmm. their deal. That's their, they're the scoundrel. They, for whatever reason, and you define it when you make your character, um, haven't been able to make a stable connection with people, and so they're sort of mm-hmm. serially um, exploring new horizons that way. And you know, that's that's a way that the um, the the mechanics in this mm-hmm. one in particular reinforce the playbook conflicts. Uh,
0: for sure, one thing I was uh, just going to ask about that came to mind was because we're talking about playing kind of romance a lot. Um, and I think some people might have just played like a more classic RPG like DD or something like that and maybe didn't explore that narrative side of things because this game is is very much about like like you say intimacy and connection, which can be a really vulnerable thing to kind of role play. So what sort of kind of advice would you give to somebody who's perhaps playing uh, this style of game for the first time when the, when they're approaching the table?
1: I think um, you know, particularly if you're coming from a DD type setting, that's a game mm-hmm. where, um, there's a tactical combat game, and then like mm-hmm. role playing happens also, and some of the mechanics yeah. interact with the role playing. Um, but it's not sort of the the core activity or of the game or really, like mm-hmm. the focus of the rule set. Um, here, I think I think the most important just bit of advice is that there's not a right way to play your character or any any particular character. The playbooks mm-hmm. will help guide you towards stuff that's interesting for the conflict that you said you're excited about. But I know mm-hmm. a lot of people um, have anxiety about doing something suboptimal or mm-hmm. being being awkward. And um, like, there are a lot of awkward queers, and that's okay. I am one of them, and uh, mm-hmm. it is it's supported in the game. You don't you mm-hmm. don't have to bring as much um, from outside the mechanics as Mm -hmm. you do in a game that doesn't focus on this kind of thing. And one of the other safety principles that I didn't think to touch on before is Mm -hmm. there is usually a mechanic that you can fall back on. If you're role-playing this great scene and then you're like, I don't know what to say next, you can go to Mm -hmm. the entice rules or you can go to the emotional support Mm -hmm. rules and sort of you calibrate it to what your comfort is for doing that improv and coming up with your character stuff and then going to dice is, is an option that, that you've always got as a safety net. And um, that was a, a, an intentional mm-hmm. design option because even people who are often really excited about improving anything might've had mm-hmm. a long day at work, might not be up for it this particular session. So yeah. they'll sort of do what they can. If you lose your train of thought, you would be like, okay, well, let's, let's, let's go to the dice because there is more mechanical support and more interesting mm-hmm. mechanical options for those um, like role-playing and social encounters then um, there isn't a game that doesn't focus on that
0: that's some really great advice I love that um I think what you said as well about leaning into playing a character that maybe is awkward and inexperienced and experiences the gay panic or the freeze that can be a great role play moment because I, I had a game I was playing with somebody and there, there's four queer women on the table and uh, and and someone kind of came over and did a little minor flirt thing and so I was like okay so I went and gave it back and then the player not the character just kind of froze and was like oh okay uh uh uh," and then (laughs) just had a panic moment and it was all fine it was all consensual it wasn't like a problem but they were just like I didn't realize we were gonna do that (laughs) because it just wasn't in the game and I think those moments can be really great and I imagine Thirsty Sword Lesbians has so many of those fun moments where um Everyone's just kind of enjoying that vibe. Um, And that's a good
1: point as well in terms of what you're expecting to get out of that game experience, Mm -hmm. right? Like, If you go into Thirsty Sword Lesbians, you probably know that um, you're going to have those moments of emotional intimacy and vulnerability. It might default Mm -hmm. to flirty. It might be chosen family there's a palette exercise at the start to figure that out and it doesn't have to be all or nothing you can say i'm not interested in my character being flirty but i am excited to see you all do it maybe i'll play the nature witch and take the i ship it move and do Mm -hmm. some matchmaking Um, Mm -hmm. but uh there there are options at the sort of game level and at the character level for opting in or out of that stuff and having foreknowledge that that's going to be a theme of the game, which is really important Mm -hmm. when you're doing things that are potentially intimate.
0: Mm -hmm, For sure. Um, I feel like we've covered um, kind of the thirsty part and the the lesbians part, but I think we should talk about swords. Always. Tell me about swords in this game, April.
1: Sure. Everyone has a sword. Um, Mm -hmm. There are some settings where people don't have swords because you're – conflict is about an intense chess match where you're Mm -hmm. smoldering over the game board at someone else but in general
0: Mm -hmm. people
1: have swords it's a frequent conceit that even if you're just like in a modern setting it's it's like our world but also everyone has swords and it's normal to challenge somebody to a duel um amazing so the the swords represent the, well, they, they represent the aesthetic of the character, for one. It's part of mm-hmm. the three things that you define about the aesthetics of your characters, their sure. demeanor, um, their, uh, their clothes, and their sword. Those mm-hmm. are you know, our first impression of, of um, each of the characters. And so you'll have eldritch swords and elemental swords and thirsty mm-hmm. swords and ornate swords and the sword that used to belong to an enemy and a broken sword. Mm-hmm. And um, they're they part of your personality. Um, but also, we touched a little bit earlier on the way that that aesthetic of um, intimate conflict, right? You are close. You are, mm-hmm. um, you know, if it's cinematic, you're locking blades. You don't really do that in mm-hmm. real life, but like absolutely lock blades and lock eyes like um spin around if you want to show off it's all it's all sort of fair game there's definitely like an element of camp which is a, Mm -hmm. a, a thread in a lot of sort of queer creations and um it gives you those moments of engagement with interesting people that you might um come to despise or Mm-hmm. be attracted to or both or redeem them or realize that they can't be redeemed and you have to overcome them but you care about them and that costs something or figure out sort of why they are like this with what what like belief they have that is mm-hmm. um you know driving them into this conflict and um so the swords are the swords are just fun and um I mean, who doesn't <laughs> like a sword lesbian. <laughs>
0: uh I know I certainly do. There's there's three Perfect things that I love in this book. So the title was just, the title just drew me and it worked. I was the target audience. Um, if you are also the target audience and have been enjoying listening to us talking, uh, the website swordlesbians.com is where you can uh, purchase this because uh, the best way to support indie tabletop RPG creators is to buy their stuff. Uh, so you can go and have a look on there for the PDFs and the physical copies of the books. And there's also more information on all the community things and stuff going on there um, because April, there's an amazing community surrounding this game game um could you tell us some of the stuff that's going on and if people are interested how they can get involved
1: absolutely um so the the it's all offered under an open license which mm-hmm. is a modified version of creative commons you have all the rights under a creative commons attribution share alike license and then some additional rights um, mm-hmm. And so that means that anyone can go ahead and um, like create stuff that builds on thirsty sword lesbians and then share it back to mm-hmm. the community and make money off of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and all that information is at powered by lesbians.com, but that's sort mm-hmm. of like the legal permissiony stuff. The way to yeah. do it is kind of to do it. Um, and like, if you tag me on Twitter, I will be, very excited I might be busy I might be slow to respond but Mm -hmm. I'll be very excited to talk about it if you use the hashtag other people who are creating will be Mm -hmm. excited to talk about it Um, and some of the very cool things that have come out of it are the blade soul by Michelle Jones which is the Mm -hmm. playbook where you become a weapon for your wielder and um, so you are you're expressing trust for them and um, giving them a little bit of your autonomy. And the conflict is feeling like you have to be of use to someone else in order to be deserving. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's intense, that's wonderful. I have played the Blade Soul, I love it. Um, There Mm -hmm. is The Admirer, which Mm -hmm. is by Kona Goodhart of Darling Bat Games. And that is the playbook for, do I want her or do I want to be her? and so <laughs> <Good> right?
0: <question>. <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> um so it, it, it has mechanical support for going through that kind of exploration like i'm really interested in this person i'm gonna you know, mm-hmm. try being a little like them and how does that fit for me and mm-hmm. um And it sort of defers that smitten question till the end of that inquiry, right? Like, are you, do you actually feel this way for this person? So that's super neat. Mm -hmm. Um, Chrissy Freeman has written a ton of settings and playbooks. Mm -hmm. Um, The playbook that I will highlight Mm -hmm. here is The Tempered, which Mm -hmm. is about um, someone who, who has survived trauma and is balancing protecting themselves versus um, being vulnerable. And it's done through the, mm-hmm. the metaphor of a, the tempering of a sword. So how flexible and how hard have you tempered the okay. steel of the sword? Is it hard mm-hmm. enough to hold an edge? Is it flexible enough not to break? Um, and that's like an intense and relatable experience for a lot of people as well. Um, so people are doing really exciting. Those are all playbooks. Um mm-hmm. There are, their are settings. Um, so Lexi the Fae did Dracula's Wake, where you have all just finished slaying Dracula, um, mm-hmm. and you are you. The only reason you vampires, other monsters, and monster hunters were working together was because you were united against Dracula. But now, now you might try to seize an advantage for yourself. Um, and uh, that that's a fun. It's a fun one. It's a good one for Halloween. Um, yeah. <laughs> coming up. So yeah, those are some examples of things that people are mm-hmm. are doing. Lots of um yeah lots of settings and playbooks.
0: Um in the main book as well, that um so that if you just if you if you're just new to this and you're like great I'm just gonna start with getting the book and, and kind of go from there. Um so there's uh different adventures in the book. Is it possible to talk us through some of them without giving any kind of spoilers away just to get a vibe for for what sort of stories we'll be telling there.
1: Yeah. Um so there are a bunch of settings that are written to be sort of fertile ground for a campaign and have multiple mm-hmm. adventure hooks in them. So there is the uh, steam, funk, coal era, like worker exploitation and speakeasies kind of um, mm-hmm. setting that uh, Jenea Kemper wrote for the core book, uh, where um, you're you're basically in the uh, working class of this industrial revolution semi-fantastic it, i mean it's fantastic it's airships and um amazing yeah and that kind of thing and there is you know not only are you sort of fighting for the you know the rights of your comrades but that there is a, a poetry to it and a magic mm-hmm. in the way that your sword gets manifested um and uh so that that's one that's a. Uh, it's, it's, just, it's a really neat setting. It's a lot of fun to swing from a rope dangling from a zeppelin and um, <laughs> smash through the window of the robber barons. Mm-hmm. Um, there is the uh, Three Orders of Ardor, which is um, by Whitney Delaglio, and that is a setting where you are uh, a holy champion of an order that um, cares a lot about taking care of other people, protecting them as well, but it's not a smitey order. It is, mm-hmm. um, it is a caring order. There are three orders to pick from. And this mm-hmm. is one of the settings in the game that's explicitly sex worker positive and supporting of sex oh, workers. Um, mm-hmm. So there's that. The, the Starcross Galaxy is the setting that I wrote. Um, and then there are specific adventures that um, you know, the best day of their lives is you are a delegation from Queertopia um, attending a, an important political wedding on the planet of Heteronormia. Mm-hmm. And hijinks ensue, as you might expect. Not everyone on heteronormia is as straight or cis as that society would have you believe. Um, what? And they can do some help, so um, so that's sort of like an extremely like campy, direct like mm-hmm. subtext for cowards, kind of adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I- I'm also pretty proud of um, the Sparkle Heart setting, which is one where you were all magical girls like 10 years ago when you were in college and you fought mm-hmm. the, the the beasts and um, we're victorious and then we're done and sort of all drifted apart. And so mm-hmm. the start of this adventure has um, something returned that clearly resembles what you fought before, but it seems like a person now. It's not just sort of like an amorphous force that you can annihilate with your sparkle beam without, mm-hmm. without remorse um, and you all are going to need to get back together to deal with it. But like, can mm-hmm. you conjure that magic still? Can you like recapture that friendship? What kind of resentment has been simmering for years? Like, why did you drift apart? Um, yeah. So it's a very that's one that's very focused on relationships among the player characters, as mm-hmm. opposed to like you're all from Queertopia. You're all on the same page. Go like yeah. Clear this stuff up in Heteronormia.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like there's loads of different loads of different like s- styles of games you could have here you have some that could be quite angsty and emotional and deep and others that are just like you say complete queer joy very campy um in playtesting do you have any good like moments or stories that stood out to you that or, or something someone did that you're like oh i didn't think that was gonna happen but fine yeah that works
1: i mean, there's <laughs> gotta be um one of my favorite moments was actually at we were streaming live. We were doing oh, all right. Well, first that like I didn't realize you could do that is um, so Christy Freeman, who has written a bunch of the stuff for uh for for was actually in the expansion book as well as writing um, community okay. stuff, was yeah. playing a scoundrel, and the scoundrel has a move called rip, where um when you're you're engaged in something dangerous. You can declare that your clothing has torn and left you yes. um, like practically indecent. Mm-hmm. And, and she asked, "Can I just be all the way indecent?"
0: <laughs>
1: uh-huh. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah you know. <laughs> that's not going to ruin the game balance. <laughs> um, and and so there's a lot of there's a lot of um, stuff like that uh yeah it's fun finding the combinations of playbooks that have interesting interactions Mm -hmm. Um, so there are a couple of playbooks i'm thinking of the dream mirror from um advanced lovers and lesbians um Mm -hmm. where the dream mirror is like you don't really know who you are you're such a people pleaser you're always doing things for others um and they have some really interesting interactions with um with playbooks like the devoted who's really mm-hmm. devoted to something and like also doing that like self-sacrifice thing, but they're very sure of who they, who they are mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not necessarily healthy, but they've got yeah. that certainty. Um, or like the chosen, the chosen has a destiny, the, the expectation. It's very easy for the dream mirror to think that that's what they want and like try to try to help. Um, mm-hmm. So there you find Sort of fun dynamics. I, the infamous and the scoundrel are a really fun pairing. Mm-hmm. Um, in playtesting at Big Bad Con, I think 2018, uh, we had um, an infamous and a scoundrel, and a chosen. Who so the infamous is the former villain who is seeking redemption and trying to do right, and they're very righteous. Um, mm-hmm. And the scoundrel we talked about, like they they hurt people because they they um Mm -hmm. you know haven't figured out how not to yeah Uh, and they were both into the chosen they had this like deep tension because the infamous is like you are hurting people and you're hurting people i care about um and uh, eventually they one or both of them realized that the chosen they were both smitten with was like really into trashy romance novels and uh, would be really excited if they fought over her, <laughs> and so they had this this intense duel where like they're mm-hmm. working, they're like yelling at each other, they're like trying to figure each other out to get their like you know at the at the truth of what's going on, um, and it was it was just spectacular. Um, mm-hmm. There's a similar uh, one more one more story. It was a it was actually I think the first stream that I wasn't involved with. I watched it and. Um, and you clearly, you know, it wasn't a kind of system that people were familiar with. They were, they were like, okay, so like we want to have it, like we're angry at each other, we're gonna fight. Um, like what? There are no rules for who's better at swords. Like what an oversight. Um, but thirty seconds <laughs> later, one of them has instead rolled to figure the other one out, and they're like, the reason none of your relationships last is because you're still in love with the pirate queen, and you can't have her. And I was like, oh, my game my game made them do something cool. <laughs> right? They were just going to roll to see whose sword was better. And mm-hmm. like, instead, there's like, you know, the drama that this person has. So yeah. um, that was like a like a moment in play testing where I just you know, rubbed my little gay hands together and cackled because the game was was doing what I wanted it to do
0: amazing that must be such a, a fun moment to have in there um we are coming up near to the the top of the hour so if you're watching live and you have any questions for april please pop them in the chat now and we can answer them for you um but uh april i was gonna say is there anything you'd like to share about thirsty sword lesbians or a question you'd wish i'd asked about it um i, know I just want to shout
1: the art because the art is really fantastic mm-hmm.
0: Kanisha yeah, did is.
1: the cover and all of the iconic characters and then there are a bunch of different artists who contributed the interior covers or the interior illustrations um hannah templar did the cover for the expansion and they're all just amazing and it was so fun to work with all of them um and trivia fox the art director was an incredible um your talent and help with all of that but they were excited to get to draw thirsty stored lesbians and that felt really good yeah. Um and yeah. you know, I sneaked about some of my OC's in there. I know like at least one mm-hmm. of the artists sneaked an OC in there as well because mm-hmm. there is a thematic connection between this kind of of um like unapologetic queer joy and yeah. um like fandom, fan communities, like fem slash and fan fiction mm-hmm. where, you know, in that case the focus is on shipping canon characters and this is, you know, having those kind of like fun dynamics and tropey yeah. Uh, moments with like original characters, so you know a lot of my original characters wound up in there. Uh, do you have yeah, the, the Tentacula, the um, iconic, infamous with mm-hmm. the big red head tentacles, is yeah. a character that I played in a game of um, for the honor uh, by um, MX Quinn. Who uh, it is? It's a it's a it's a lightweight um, mm-hmm. game inspired by Shira, uh, and it's GMless, and you're like you know, having, having drama with each other. And um, I think there is, there are definitely, like, common themes. People will look at their Cesar Lesbians and be like, oh, it's Utena the RPG, or it's she the RPG, or more recently, it's <laughs> our flag means death, <laughs> the, the sapphic. <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: And uh, I, I think, you know, I think part of that is there isn't a ton of, um, like, sapphic representation in mass media. Yeah. there's even less that uses swords for some reason mm-hmm. um, and uh, but it's not it's not poorly represented in the fandom right like people want it people enjoy yeah. it people want to see themselves represented that way
0: definitely um well, we have some fans here uh in watching live as well uh some backers of both the original and the advanced lovers and lesbians uh so thanks very much for for coming along and supporting uh, if you have not had the chance to play yet as we've mentioned if you go to swordlesbians.com uh you can check out all the options there for things you can get to play a game yourself
1: i will say for your um european audience mm-hmm. uh You may not be able to order directly from there, uh, but reach out to your regional game distributor because Mm -hmm. Evil Hat does distribute the game uh, internationally
0: there we go and uh the pdfs are always there on the site though so i say wherever you are in the world you can always get the pdf which is the that you know you can get to play the game that way um so april the question i ask everyone near the end of the show is do you have any uh other tabletop rpgs you'd like to recommend and the rules to the question is it can't be one you've made and it can't be uh D. yeah
1: um there are a lot i love games <laughs> uh i think I would be remiss if I didn't shout out to *Apocalypse Keys* by Ray Najati, which is kickstarting mm-hmm. right now. It oh, is—it wow, okay. is a game that is about monsters trying to prevent the apocalypse. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's like a sort of Hellboy um, aspect to it where like you are monsters, you're trying to protect the world. um, And it's also just deeply queer and um, deeply invested in the relationships between these characters. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a similar, it's a similar kind of engine as well, um, but it's Apocalypse Keys. It's kickstarting now. I got to play test it um, and had a lot of fun with, with my, um, person who was pretending to be a snake goddess, but was actually just the cast-off skin shedding of the snake goddess from before she died.
0: What a concept!
1: (laughs) And the game really facilitates uh, like weird and emotionally dramatic concepts uh, as well. So... I'd also recommend, um, I think like in the, the the lightest end of the spectrum of RPGs uh, would be like a prompt based game like For the Queen by Alex Roberts. So this is mm-hmm. a game, it's gm and the whole game is prompts. They're question prompts okay. um, that are about your relationship to the Queen and to one another as you're going on uh, this, this journey. Um, to try to make peace between your land and another land. And mm-hmm. um, especially if you're a game designer, play it and look at how much you can do with a very light mechanic of prompts because the stories mm-hmm. that come out of it wind up being pretty emotionally um uh, powerful and mm-hmm. uh, dramatic and it's it's also a great sort of introduction to for people who haven't played an rpg before or haven't played um anything other than D to see or mm-hmm. something at like another something that's like has is easy to get into and yeah. is on a different side of the spectrum and the last one um I, I'm really excited for the new version of the watch that Ash Kreider is working on the watch mm-hmm. um, is an RPG about uh, women and non-binary people opposing an evil God uh, who is mm-hmm. not so secretly the patriarchy and has <laughs> the power to like get into people's minds and you know affect mm-hmm. what they do and um, and in your struggle against this force, is, the tone um, is, is a little bit more grim than Thirsty Sword Lesbians. You have like mm-hmm. a jaded track as you get worn down by having to like, fight the fight. But you mm-hmm. also have these moments of connection that are really important. So uh, I, I, I really like the watch. It's um, mm-hmm. one, of the, one of the influences that I'd cite for Thirsty Sword Lesbians. And it's getting a new edition soon. So
0: oh. I definitely
1: look out for that one
0: maybe one for my list to write down for future guests.
1: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> to talk to Ash, talk to Ray, mm-hmm. talk to Alex, like all, all those creators are fantastic.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you so much for those recommendations. Um, and Thank you so much uh, for giving up your time and coming on to share Thirsty Sword Lesbians with us because like all three things are things that I certainly enjoy and lots of people in the chat uh, have said so as well. Um, so next week, uh, we are back with not D and D. Uh, we are talking about wise women, which is, uh, where the players take on the role of witches living in a remote village. Uh, so we'll dig into that a little bit more. Uh, but you can get the full schedule of everything we're doing at enliverpg.com to check out what we're doing. Um, but for now, uh, I think we've come up to the end of the hour. So I'll say goodbye. Uh, thanks so much for watching. And April, thank you so much for coming on again.
1: Thank you for having me. Good night.